Today's show is sponsored by CloudZero. For software-driven companies focused on growing margins, CloudZero is the only cloud cost intelligence platform that puts engineering in control by connecting technical decisions to business results. By analyzing cloud services like AWS and Snowflake, CloudZero provides real-time cost insights that help you maximize margins. Engineering teams can answer critical questions like, who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? What's the cost impact of re-architecting this application? With cost anomaly alerts via Slack, product-specific data views, and granular engineering context that makes it easy to investigate any cost, CloudZero is your complete cloud cost intelligence platform, connecting the dots between high-level trends and individual line items. Join companies like Drift, Rabbit7, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com cloudcast to get started today. That's cloudzero.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Pollenville, USA, or Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody's doing well. We are getting towards the end of April, another Sunday perspective show for you. A couple of little housekeeping notes um, before we get into the sort of the topic today. So I think it's going to be an interesting topic. Um, today is going to be the last uh, Sunday perspective show for a little while. Um, I'm going to change up the format. I've been doing uh, Wednesday shows, the interview show, Sunday's a Sunday perspective show. And for the next couple of months, probably until uh, sort of July, uh, 4th of July type of break time frame, uh, I'm going to switch from doing every Sunday being Sunday Perspective to every other Sunday being Sunday Perspective. And the reason for that is a couple of things. Um, one of them is we uh, this year has been sort of unique in that we have gotten so many good topics uh, for the Wednesday show that we are really, really backlogged. And we wanted to figure out a way that we could um, move some of those up. Um, you know, we, we've been recording a whole bunch. We have a whole bunch sort of uh, sitting in the can, if you if you will. Um, and we wanted to kind of get them out there faster than uh, we would have if we'd done them just every Wednesday. Um, so it's unusual. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's it's a little unusual that we get so many good topics, uh, so much in the early part of this year that we've we've been so overwhelmed with them. So part of it is we want to get uh, more really good topics to you uh, on a faster basis. So uh, we're going to go to like every other Sunday will be a Sunday. Sunday perspective show, and then every other Sunday will be uh, an interview show. And again, we wouldn't do this if we didn't have so many uh, that are backlogged that we think are really, really good topics. Um, they're not timely necessarily. Like, you, you know, if they were a couple of weeks late, you guys wouldn't miss them, but we feel like they're really interesting topics. They're really, um, you know, kind of valuable uh, to people right now. So we wanted to speed that up a little bit. That was, that was one reason. The second reason um, is I have a number of things in both May and June in terms of some travel things coming up, um, some back-to-back-to-back travels and some family-related travels that I know are going to make recording the Sunday Perspective show uh, more difficult than they should be. So, um, you know, it this gives me a little bit of flexibility in terms of being able to not only give you good shows, but, you know, uh, take care of the things I've got to do both for work, travel, and, and family obligations and so forth. And then the third thing was... Um, you know, I've been doing the Sunday Perspective now uh, basically all of last year and into this year, so probably 50, 60 or so of them. 
Um, and sometimes you, you start to run out of topics. Um, you know, we, we have this uh, sort of interesting uh, yin and yang. We have way more really good interview topics right now that we have. And sometimes I'll find myself uh, running a little bit short on topics for the Sunday Perspective. And I didn't want to give you guys sort of a short change Sunday Perspective show. And I felt like maybe a few of them eh, over the last month or two were, you know, sort of half-baked, if you will. And uh, I want to give myself a chance to kind of refresh um, some of those topics, um, get a good backlog going again, and uh, and go from there. So anyways, um, it'll be a couple of months. Uh, it'll be every other week. We'll do Sunday Perspective. Uh, you'll get doubled up on some of the interviews, uh, but again, really interesting topics. And uh, it's very likely that we'll probably come back um, you know, in the July timeframe or sometime after 4th of July here in the States and probably get back to doing sort of every Sunday, Sunday Perspective. So anyway, just wanted to give you that heads up. Um, I know we've gotten a lot of really nice feedback about people liking the Sunday Perspective show and People have different opinions about it, but uh, just kind of wanted to give you that heads up just so you can set your schedules as well. Um, as far as the topic today, uh, I had listening to a really interesting podcast from Ben Thompson. And I know if you've listened to the show for a while, uh, you've heard us talk about Ben Thompson, uh, one of our one of our favorite people on the internet. Uh, ben is a person who runs the Stratechery podcast. Um, he also used to run Exponent. I think Exponent has sort of fallen off as far as a podcast goes, but he runs the Stratechery uh, website which is, uh, it's world-class. Ben is an awesome, awesome analyst and strategist and just somebody who's really good at, at looking at what's going on in our industry, connecting the dots, uh, building some very big um, ideas about how things go together. And he was, uh, he did a, a piece, obviously Twitter's been in the news a lot lately uh, with the uh, uh, the potential acquisition by Elon Musk. And you know Ben's been somebody who, um, I, I bring this up because I think a lot of people that listen to the show probably um, use Twitter, use it on some amount of basis. And, and Ben did a really nice job in this. And if you don't subscribe to Stratechery, I think it's like $100 a year. It's totally worth your time. Um, I don't get any kickbacks from it. We don't have any affiliation with it. We just think it's really good. Um, uh, he does write some stuff that goes out for free every, I think, once a week. And then he's got some stuff that's sort of behind the paywall. Um, but anyways, he, he wrote this really interesting piece about Twitter. And I'll forget about all the Elon Musk stuff. I don't really care. I mean, there's probably a lot to be said about if he were to buy it or not. But he did a really interesting uh, thing. And I think the piece that I linked in here is in front of the paywall, so it's free. But he basically went through and he was kind of walking through trying to explain, kind of going back and looking at Twitter and trying to explain what Twitter is. And, and not that he doesn't understand what it is or his audience doesn't understand what it is, but he kind of went through and made this interesting kind of analogy or, or uh, argument about a lot of you use Twitter, but can you explain what Twitter is? And the reason he was doing that was because, um, you know, he was trying to explain, you know, where you potentially could unlock business value and why somebody might want to buy Twitter as opposed to the state that it's in today, which is a very, very underperforming, uh, but very... A useful utility as a social network, uh, going through why it's very different than a lot of the other social networks. Um, but really thinking about like, if somebody were to buy it, how would you, you know, how would you unlock value out of it? What's there that's really valuable that maybe isn't being uh, taken advantage of in the right way? And so I thought what might, might be sort of interesting was I thought the part was really interesting about how he went through trying to explain what Twitter was. And I want to dig in a little bit as to how do you explain complex technical topics that feel like they shouldn't be that hard to explain to people? And then also I want to kind of look at the second issue of what happens when you have a product versus you have a platform and 
you know, how does that align to your users and how they use it? And should you be offering a product when you have a platform and should you be offering a platform when you have a product? And so long-winded way of saying, we're going to dig into that right after the break. Still using SSH keys, RDP logins, and database credentials? It's time to access your infrastructure like it's no longer 1999. StrongDM is the only modern infrastructure access platform. It creates a seamless, secure, and observable air gap between your staff and the critical infrastructure that powers your company. Instantly revoke access to every database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with a click. Automatically log every query, SSH, and kube control command to know who did what, when, and where across your stack. Eliminate credentials from end-user workflows to deploy access that's zero trust and least privilege by default. Trust it by your peers at Peloton, SoFi, Yext, and Chime. StrongDM is the only way to deploy secure access controls in a way folks love to use. But who believes in ad? Check it out for yourself with a no BS demo. Sign up at www.strongdm.com slash get dash a dash demo. Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, now offering CI visibility. Datadog provides deep performance insights into pipelines and tests across your CI providers. Build and platform engineering teams have a single pane of glass into their entire CI system to identify regressions, areas of optimization, and streamline their debugging process to ensure smooth and reliable workflow. You can now get high-level metrics into each pipeline. Then drill down further to identify the specific errors and failure rates, or any error-prone jobs. On tests, CI visibility will automatically surface flaky tests to help developers raise the bar on testing quality and restore confidence in test results. Learn more by signing up for a free two-week trial by visiting datadog.com slash frontend cloudcast. That's datadog.com slash frontend hyphen cloudcast. As a special offer, Cloudcast listeners who sign up now will receive a free Datadog t-shirt. And we're back. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, I want to dig into this article that was written by Ben Thompson. Uh, It's called Back to the Future of Twitter. It's in uh, a couple of weeks ago in Stratechery. Maybe it was a few days ago. Anyways, it was, uh, I think, last week. Um, Sometime in mid-April, whenever you're listening to this. And basically, you know, the, the framing of it was, uh, you know, this, this potential acquisition by Elon Musk. And, you know, Ben is somebody who has said for a long time that, that Twitter is a, um, it's a really valuable property, but the market doesn't necessarily value it as a valuable property because they haven't figured out how to build a really compelling business case, especially in comparison to a number of other social media sites, i.e. like an Instagram or a Facebook or something else that has a huge, huge number of users, right? This doesn't, he's not trying to compare it to maybe some failed social media networks that you know never got off the ground, and a lot of it because they don't have a big user base. Well, Twitter has a, a massive user base. Anyways, he sort of starts off by saying, you know, what is Twitter? Uh, is it a website? Is it a social media uh, platform? Is it an application? And and then he sort of goes through and breaks down what Twitter really is, and, and what he kind of goes through and explains as well. It's it's all of those, but it's also kind of none of those. It's really you know a collection of a bunch of capabilities, uh, and then sort of walks through the history of Twitter. And it's you know for anybody who 
uh, is into technology and and sort of history and strategy and kind of how things evolved. It's a really interesting listen. It's maybe a, a 10 or 15 minute read or something. Now, what I thought was interesting about it was he does, he gets into this sort of thing of saying, you know, it's a technology that people use a lot. They use it all the time, but it's kind of complicated to explain it because everybody has sort of a different perspective on it. And I thought what was really interesting, for example, was he said, everybody lumps it into being a social network, but it's really a different type of social network in that people tend to, you know, he sort of compared it to like Instagram. And he said, uh, Instagram, you go to, and it's all visual, obviously it's, you know, it's video and, and, and pictures and stuff. But he said, you sort of go there and you, you want to sort of kill some time when you go to Instagram, right? Like you don't take it as a, as a, as an information source per se. You might, you know, if you're going to go see your friends or a girlfriend or a, you know, a, you know, some barbecue thing or something, whatever you're, whatever you're into your, your hobby. But he said, it's really different. It's a really different experience in going to Instagram in that you sort of kick back and you relax and you just kind of flip through it and it's enjoyable. Whereas when you go to Twitter, you know, a Twitter, you know, you're probably going to do throughout the business day. But number two, he said, it's, it's really, it's almost sort of information combat, information warfare <laughs> in that you go in there really trying to get information. And, you know, sometimes getting the information is difficult and all these sort of things. But it was interesting for him to sort of, the first thing he sort of did was he broke down, okay, what is this thing? Is it a product? Is it a platform? Is it a set of services that are all sort of woven together in some way? And then the second thing was really kind of framing up what problem do people have when they go to this website or this tool, whatever, uh, and, and what are they trying to get out of it, right? And even though it gets lumped into, quote unquote, social media, just like an Instagram or a Facebook or, I don't know, um, Snapchat or something else, it's it's really different because the thing that people expect to get out of that thing is really different, right? And it got me thinking about a couple of things. Um, the first one is, you know, any of you that work in technology, uh, depending on which side of the the industry you work in, you probably often find yourself struggling with, you know, the thing that you're responsible for, trying to explain it to somebody, and you're probably really good at going well. It you know, it, it does this and then it does this and it, you know, it, it lives at this layer of the stack and it kind of relates to this problem and whatever. But, you know, it sort of, it sort of forces you to ask the question, like, what problem does it actually solve, right? What is it, what does it actually do? Yes, I know you can go on there and write a tweet and I know you can go on there and read a bunch of stuff and you can, uh, you know, interact with people, but what problem does it really solve, right? So, you know, think about that in the context of whatever you work on, right? So maybe you do platform as a service, or maybe you do some sort of security thing, or maybe you do, I don't know, cloud-based financial analysis, right? What problem are you trying to solve? What problem does somebody have that you're trying to align to, right? The second thing that you end up getting into is, um, you know, who has that problem, right? Like, yes, you can describe a problem, right? Uh, but who specifically has that problem? Because at some point, you have to be able to map a set of pain uh, or a set of tasks or a cost or a delay or something to somebody who actually is responsible for that. And, and then you got to figure out, do they want that pain to go away, right? Are you trying to provide them a cure, i.e. like, uh, you know, you're trying to provide them a, a shot, if you will, or are you really just trying to provide them something that that reduces the pain that they have, right? So you're providing them like, like an aspirin or a Tylenol or something, right? So first thing is, what problem actually exists? 
Second thing is who actually has that problem and do they want the problem to go away or do they want the problem to be just less because they realize like you can't make the problem completely go away, but you could make it less difficult, right? Now, the next thing I think is sort of interesting, and this is where Ben sort of gets into this, this thing about Twitter, is his, his argument about Twitter is Twitter evolved as originally it was this service that would um, allow somebody to write a message. Uh, that message would then be sent out to a well-known group of people, people that followed somebody, and you could be sure that that message would be um, reliably sent, right? That was the original sort of concept of Twitter. And then Twitter began to say, hey, you know, there's probably a different experience that different people want. And so they created this idea of like um, different clients. And again, if, you, if you're sort of new to Twitter or you're sort of new to this podcast or something, or you're just sort of young, none of that may make any sense to you because you look at the world now and you go, well, there's, there's the Twitter app and there's the Twitter webpage and there's not a lot of other ways to kind of consume Twitter. Maybe there's, you know, one or two clients. Well, there used to be a whole lot of clients and a lot of the interesting things that happened on Twitter, like retweets and hashtags and actually even calling something a tweet and so forth, all came from these sort of third-party groups that were interacting with the Twitter API and the Twitter backend service. Anyways, the reason I kind of go through that is Ben essentially explains that over time, Twitter wanted to have better control over their user experience. Hence, they put a whole bunch of restrictions around the API and around the user, uh, the user clients, and so forth, and you know their their thing was we want to drive a certain experience because otherwise, with all these different clients, there's so many different experiences of Twitter. It becomes very difficult for them to to figure out what Twitter is. And I think the other reason was they had some sort of bigger vision that you know here's how we're going to uh, here's how we're going to advertise or monetize this service. And a lot of those decisions, um, you know, while they were probably thought through at the time, um, again, didn't quite always understand what problem people were trying to solve or what value they thought they received from being in the, the Twitter sphere, if you will. And what it's ultimately led to is Twitter is now at a point where it's really hard to do advertising, hence it's really hard to monetize. Um, they've restricted the number of clients that are able to use it, uh, you know, the number of new features and so forth, new capabilities that could be monetized or would just make the service more appealing to people have sort of been cut off because of some early decisions they made and some things that they don't want to do. And that part got me thinking about, you know, there are lots of times when, <clears throat> when we understand what the problem is, the person who wants the problem solved, alignment to that, do they want it solved or do they just want it reduced? And then you sort of get into, now, is the way they want to solve that problem done through a product, a specific thing, a specific tool, or is it something that would be best served or best solved by having sort of a platform in which it could kind of get customized based on you know other things plugging into it or other add-ons coming into the play? Um, because their their problem is sort of generic, but if it was being done in China, it might be different than if it was being done in the United States. Or if you were in a certain industry, it'd be solved a different way than if you were somewhere else, you know, in some other industry, right? And so it sort of gets into this question of like, are you solving the problem with a product or are you solving it with a platform? And I think what Ben ultimately sort of explains in in the Twitter analogy is Twitter ultimately sort of built a platform, but they ended up building sort of a closed platform. And his argument is maybe if the person who buys Twitter 
can figure out how to unlock the platform, right? Decouple the platform, decouple the message service from the client interface, from the ability for maybe any other social network to come along and tap into the user graph that's out there and all these different things. And he kind of walks through, you know, the different possibilities. And it got me thinking, you know, I've worked in a few different places over the years recently and, and many years ago and so forth in which we started off building something. And then over time, you know, we always felt like, well, uh, either to compete in the market or to solve, you know, ongoing problems that, that our users had, we needed to, you know, kind of keep building, vertically building uh, the platform, right? Take a platform approach and continue to vertically sort of build the platform, vertically integrate, and probably in some cases shut down the ability for the platform to be more open to to other new things, right? And, th- and I think that naturally happens because um, you're you're ultimately, you're hearing from your users, uh, hey, I'd like this, I'd like this, and you go, okay, yes, sure, I would like to solve that for you. Yes, I'd like to solve that for you. And again, the bottom part of the stack oftentimes is getting commoditized at the same time. And so you you don't necessarily want to just be in the the commoditized business or you don't, you know, you, you feel like, well, I can't differentiate anymore at that lower level. Um, so I need to continue to differentiate at an upper level, which is, again, what Twitter sort of did in, in terms of saying, hey, I want to own the user experience because I think the user experience maybe will lend to a better monetization experience or an ad experience or whatever it might be. And so it it really kind of uh, makes you come back to the question of, you know, does the thing that your user wants, the person who's your customer, if you will, do they want a platform or do they want a product, right? And I think we've seen over time that, you know, people tend to prefer products. Um, you know, there are times when they prefer a platform, but at some point platforms always become too heavy, too gangly, too too difficult to deal with in terms of, they become more expensive. You don't want everything that's in the platform or they just don't seem to move very fast or they, they have dependencies that you don't really care for anymore right? or that you don't really want. So it does sort of, um, it does sort of get into an interesting dichotomy between you know, those who build products and or platforms and those who you know, want to solve their problems or uh, you know, get value out of using it as a product or a platform. And so, you know, it really kind of got me thinking a lot about, uh, you know, as you're, as you're thinking about building something and you're ultimately trying to align to, you know, solving problems for people, uh, you start asking yourself, you know, is, um, you know, if, if it's a platform that needs to align to it, um, you know, how many people need to align to that platform? And do those people have, you know, different requirements? Do they have different uh, objectives? Do they have different things that they're motivated on? And I think when that starts happening, you start to get yourself into a challenging situation in that you tend to want to, you know, it's very difficult to build for everybody into the platform. You tend to skew towards one group because maybe you think that group holds the dollars or they just, you know, talk to you more and give you more feedback and ask you for more features or whatever. Um, so I think that's always a challenge that you're facing. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's obviously probably a challenge that, you know, that Twitter was facing again, coming back to the Twitter analogy. And so, you know, it, it really sort of begins to ask yourself, um, you know, on an ongoing basis, if you're in the product space, if you're in the platform space, you kind of constantly have to be coming back to yourself asking, you know, should I continue to expand out a product? Um, is it, you know, as a standalone thing, is the product Okay. Um, do I have to, 
you know, kind of convert this into being more of a platform type of type of offering and, and where can I be modular? Where should I be open? Um, you know, if I make a decision, what are the ramifications of that decision? Open, closed, modular, API access to it, all those sort of things. And then ultimately, I think you, you really have to think about, you know, several, several steps down the road of like, whether you're trying to monetize something, whether you're trying to, you know, grow the user base around it, you know, what are some of these decisions going to be? And and then at some point in time, you, you're probably going to end up asking yourself, you know, can I break this thing up, right? Does it does it create more value in breaking it up? And that's a lot of what Ben sort of talks about in his piece about Twitter. But I think the, uh, the parallel, um, you know, is there for a lot of technologies out there, right? Like, would they be better served if they didn't have sort of the vertical, um, you know, dependencies up and down the stack, right? Would they be better served if um, essentially maybe lower parts of the stack could be more flexible or uh, APIs and, and opening of APIs could be more flexible? And so, you know, I think having lived through that, uh, you know, in a couple of different places and sometimes done it well and sometimes done it poorly and so on and so forth, um, just the whole kind of history of Twitter and and how it started, some of the decisions it made, um, some of the decisions it made, what what felt probably at the time seemed like they were a good thing. Um, but when you look at sort of where they are today, in terms of struggling to be able to to add new capabilities when people are are you know screaming for for new capabilities, um, you know for looking at how it monetizes itself, you know especially compared to other things that sort of fit in the social media. Uh, genre or category. Um, but again, I think, you know, if you read through the article, if you get a chance to read through the article, and then you think about it in the context of, you know, other platforms or other products, um, or other things that have, you know, made open decisions versus closed decisions or modular decisions, um, it gives you a lot to think about. It gives you a lot to to kind of ponder in terms of, um, you know, are we still serving the same, the right people? Are we still solving the problems that we're trying to solve? Um, and you know, at some point, you know, do we need to sort of break up certain platforms because they become too heavy to, uh, you know, to sort of, uh, be successful in the market with, do they not align to people's problems anymore? And sometimes in breaking them up, you, you unlock even more value because in breaking them up, you know, you're, you may end up having the ability to now open them up to a whole new set of partners new technologies, whatever those things might be. So anyways, uh, a lot to think about. Um, you know, again, uh, if, but if you're listening to the show, um, you know, definitely try and get a hold of, of Ben's article. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to Ben's thing, like I said, it's a hundred bucks a year. It's, it's next to nothing. Um, really good stuff, but, uh, really gives you a lot to think about, especially, you know, in the bigger context of cloud computing and aggregation and, uh, you know, how platforms are built and, and how they work and what their ecosystems look like. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Hope everybody's doing okay. As I mentioned, uh, last Sunday Perspective show for a couple of weeks, I'll be back, uh, I think in like three weeks, uh, we're going to do it every every other Sunday instead of every Sunday. So uh, thank you always for the feedback. Um, uh, I love doing the show. I want to continue doing it well, and that's why we're taking a little bit of a break. Um, but uh, any topics, any ideas you have, always welcome. Uh, lots of lots of good uh, stuff we've gotten on, on DMs and, and through LinkedIn and uh, at show at thecloudcast.net. So all those things as well. Anytime, anytime or anything you want to hit us up on, uh, let us know. Um, always love to sort of help out the community if we can. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks, everybody, for giving us feedback. Thanks for helping us grow the show. And uh, we look forward to having a lot of really, really uh, cool shows over the next 
just two months, um, and then we'll probably get back to some sort of regular cadence. But uh, we want to get you a bunch of these things that we've already recorded, uh, get them to you a little bit quicker. So with that, we'll wrap it up. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. Thank you.